Hello, everyone, wherever you were listening from today. This is the 212 Podcast, a podcast that talks to the legends that work in the arts and entertainment industry. If you like what you hear, please give us a like and subscribe. Our guest on the podcast this week is a member of a hip-hop band who literally were one of the founding fathers of hip-hop. This legend of the game has music flowing through his veins, with his papa being Latin jazz percussionist Willie Bobo. This next guest has not only been a part of the Beastie Boys throughout their greatest success, he has then thought it best to go even further, just for shits and gigs, to be a part of Cypress Hill. Enough, Eric. Leave some for the rest of us. Please welcome to the podcast, Eric Bobo Correa of Cypress Hill. How are you and where are you today? All right. How you doing? Uh, I am uh, home in Los Angeles. Not at home, home, but I'm home in Los Angeles, California. And what I wanted to do just to, at the beginning, I mean, we've just gone through all of the stuff that you've done and it's it's overwhelming trying to just, I mean, you're the one that's doing it, so it must be even more overwhelming for you, but um, you kind of take it in your stride. But I want to just kind of start talking about how much of an impact your family and your upbringing had for your kind of love and passion for music. Well, I think, you know, being around music my whole life, you know, it just being there without like knowing what it was. It was just a normal, natural thing. Uh, I think it was very important. I think I naturally gravitated toward music before I could even speak. And I think with some, some children, music hits them in that way that they become interested in sound and they become interested in banging on things in rhythm. And uh, that was me. Unlike my brother who was older than me, that that didn't really happen with him, but with me it did. Having having a father who was, uh, you know, very well known in his genre of music and and was a working musician at the time, getting a chance to to see things firsthand was very great, very good for me as well because then I got to see, you know, something in in a way that made me think, oh, I, I think I want to do this, you know? And and I think that with all of that, it just, like, really, I would just say, like, opened up my eyes, my ears to all the music that was out there. So me being in front of the record player with all this vinyl, just listening to music, I would do that uh, before, like, going outside to play and stuff like that well I, I was going to say about the play thing as well did you search out for friends when you were at school with the same passion that you had uh, for music actually i didn't it's not like i wanted to you know just play with everybody or whatnot it wasn't that at all what it was uh for me was you know just a normal type of childhood you know i never had you know, friends at that early age that would be like, okay, we're gonna, you know, jam, let's jam, let's play this this music, or you play drums and I'll play this, or I'll play bass, or whatever. I never had that. Anytime that I got up to play, it was with my father's band. So what was your, what was your kind of focus? Was it like, was it sport or what was your, or did you have kind of two hats? You know, at home you were doing the music and then at, at school you were doing something else. Well, uh, you know, I mean, I was very much a 
sports, you know, I was like in little league, you know, baseball and, and basketball, played, you know, football and the, the rec center, local rec centers and stuff like that. I, I ran track. So I was very much into sports. And, you know, I have my little hobbies and things like that, but nothing really gave me the feeling that music did. Like, it's something that I was wanting to pursue. Because once I got the bug of playing and being up on stage and everything like that, that feeling is not easily replaceable, you know? So, like I was saying, at an early age, I knew that I wanted music. I didn't know to what capacity. I didn't know to what capacity I could play music. You know, I was playing, and, you know, my first gigs with my dad were, like, in the local jazz clubs, you know, around town. And when I started to play the bigger audiences with him, like Playboy Jazz Festival or, you know, things like that, you know, the the passion grew with that. And then it became like something that I knew in my heart I wanted to do. So what so who are your who were your idols growing up? Well, uh, well, my, my idols growing up basically were like other musicians that I was uh, listening uh, to at the time from my dad's like record collection, you know, Tito Puente and uh, people like Mongo Santa Maria, like uh, people, people like this. Uh, uh, then you get jazz drummers like Buddy Rich and Billy Cobham and you know, a lot of jazz fusion guys, you know, because, you know, those were the ones that I was kind of around most, you know, with my dad. So uh, as as I was listening to the music, you know, I got also exposed to like my my brother's uh, collection of music, which was more the uh, R&B soul tip, you know, and that was that was something that I really I really enjoyed as well. Earth, Wind, and Fire, Tower, Power, groups of that nature. So, yeah, it came from all all around, you know. And as I got older, you know, there were other influences, like more rock influences and things like that. So my my thing just kept on growing and growing and growing as far as, you know, musical influences. It's funny you say that as well, because it's that's one of the ones I watched you and Send Dog on Amoeba Records, What's in My Bag? And I was kind of surprised by, well, I was surprised by your selection, not because of the depth of knowledge, but the interest in so many things that you, you, you had, you two kind of riffing off each other. It was like a childlike love for it still at this time even though how much you've kind of done you know one of the one of the ones that you picked there you're talking about rock was was pink floyd and you know how big they were as an influence on you when did you start to kind of flow into that that rock side of stuff as well as you know hip-hop well i got you know in a way i was introduced a little early to to rock a little bit through my brother I think one of the first uh, albums I remember like listening to would be like the Beatles Abbey Road and and then like Band of Gypsies by Jimi Hendrix, you know things like that. Chicago, you know. Then then as I went to high school, 
you know, there was a lot of guys there that were listening to more heavy, like, more heavier rock, you know, like ACDC and, you know, Van Halen, Black Sabbath, you know, things like that. So, you know, it was it was kind of like getting into that. And, you know, again, I had always been listening to different types of music. My dad would get, like, records sent to the house from his friend that worked over at uh, Columbia Records. So there were a lot of times that, you know, I was listening to some of the, you know, we were getting the promo albums of some of these people. Like, I mean, but it will be of different artists and it won't be all of the same genre. You know, it could be like Weather Report. It could be like Jeff Beck Wired. It could be like Isley Brothers. It could be like Earth, Wind & Fire. And since Columbia Records uh, had such a vast array of artists and genres, I was getting all of that. You know, you, Roy, uh, on the reggae side, you know, different things. So early on, you know, I was, my dad always made sure that I was exposed to different types of music. Yeah, you can have like your favorite genres, but appreciate different styles of music because, you know, you learn from each and every genre. I think I think that's one of the things sometimes I think about that we kind of miss with the digital music, isn't it? It's you know you you talking about all the records that you you had. It's it's almost like sometimes you might be forced to listen to something before you know whether you like it or not, whereas you don't get the choice now. You know, I think just the way that we listen to music now is just way different. You know, uh, there was more of a prep for it back in the day. You know more of a setup for it you know you got a chance to buy the single and the single might give you a a, a b-side of either an instrumental uh, a remix or maybe even a different song and then you know you got the album and you had to digest the album you know you were fed the singles that were that were given to you you didn't have a choice you know when you had the record you had to you know yeah you can have your uh different favorite songs but you you had to play the record. And now, you know, you could just like a record could be released and you just listen to one or two songs, you know, and then that's it. You know, you don't, you know, our attention span now is much shorter than what it was. Well, like Goldfish. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it's, you know, they're not people that are really like back in the, the you know, the, the olden days, you know, the old gold days, when you got an album, you know, you really, you know, you took pride in listening to it from top to bottom. Get the feel of the record, get the vibe of the record, get the vibe of the artist. And during this time, you're looking at the artwork, you're reading the liner notes, you're reading who played on it, you're, you know, all this information. So you're spending time with it. You don't get that now. You don't get that now. Not 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 in the way that we listen to music as far as streaming. You know, you don't get a chance to hold an art, a piece of art uh, that's on a uh, on a record cover like you did before. You have to settle for a JPEG. 
And that's the feel, like you're saying, the feel, the look of the record, like holding on to it. I mean, one of the ones that you mentioned with Sendog as well in that in that clip was, you know, you were the only person outside the three of the guys in Beastie Boys to appear on the front cover of of one of the records, which, I mean, you <laughs> that's pretty special in itself, but you wouldn't get that unless you actually, you know, had that physical uh, record. Right, right, right. And that's that's the thing. I mean, now... You know, you could put anything up as a cover, you know, and just slap it up there. So it's cool, but you know, you just don't get the same vibe. You know what I mean? I there were there were albums like you did get those Pink Floyd albums. You'd see it like the the art that would be up on there. You're taking time to really analyze like what what is on there. Could you? see any clue to something you know you you can really look at it you know you, you can look at the detail and now you damn near need a, a microscope you gotta you gotta remember it's like not everybody is in front of their computers all day but everybody's got a phone everybody now has access to millions and millions of songs and you can get the artwork and you can see it but still, you're looking at a picture. You're you're looking at it like in that way, and it's not it's not the same. Totally, totally get it as well. And and I think I think well, I I have a lot of records by you know Madly, Freddie Gibbs, etc. Love that kind of stuff. And and one of the ones that you did actually pick on there was MF Doom and and Madlib, Madlib in particular. And I know there's kind of you know you've got the Jay Dillers of this world as well, but Madlib in particular, I've seen play smaller venues you know i i me personally i feel like he should be doing arenas or something like that but do you think he's un, he's underrated and there's there's a lot of people like that that are they're kind of underrated that should be playing these bigger tour shows you know i i really believe that you know there is a bit of being underrated uh underappreciated at the same time i think that the artists themselves if they want to take be taken seriously they also have to consider that you know when they do a show they got to give the best show that they can you know a lot of a lot of these uh mcs that can go overseas and have that opportunity some of them they'll flake out they won't come out to the show they'll cancel the show tour at the last minute you got to think that you know touring and getting your music out there is more than just performing in the states or a little tour you want to get your music out there you you got to get out there you know and i think that a group like cypress has prided themselves in and playing to different audiences around the world whether there's an album or not and give a great show and i think that that is very very important so there's a lot of factors and have you seen that, like the stage fright or not doing a good show, like abroad? Have you have you seen that yourself? I, I you know, I've I've seen I've seen groups that kind of almost take advantage or try to take advantage of you know of the fans in their show by not you know performing the full length, maybe not doing a meet and greet, not. Not signing autographs, not, you know, not being, you know, with the people. You got to think if if you're able to give a fan a few minutes of, of, of your time 
whether it's to sign something, whether it's to hear them say to you how you've influenced them or influenced their life in one, one way, shape, or form. If you give them that, you have a fan for life. Yeah, I, I was listening to a podcast yesterday where they were talking about a certain celebrity and they said, the celebrity always said, you can give a fan five seconds of your time that they'll remember for the rest of your life that you won't remember ever again, but they'll remember for their whole life. And and they'll remember that and they'll always, you know, they'll always be a fan of your music. You know, you can, they'll, again, you know, there's difference. You, you can have uh, your favorites or whatnot. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's important to to be able to be accessible to your fans, to be kind to them. I mean, look, the fans are giving you the opportunity to live the life that you're living. They're the ones, you know, we, we you know, the fans dictate that. It's not the artist. You know, the artist, you know, the artist provides the food, but it's up to the to the people to decide if they like it or not. And tell you so, when they're full up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, you have to do it. So yeah, I think it's very, very important to be one with the fans. Cypress, we've always, you know, from meet and greets to actually going out and going out in the crowds like before show just shaking hands or, you know, taking pictures with, you know, people, all of that stuff. It means a lot to the fans, you know, and you, you diss them that one time you've lost a fan. They're not listening to you anymore because you've already put a bad taste in their mouth and they're always going to remember how you fucked them up. And, and in, and in hip hop, I imagine that's actually, <laughs> That's even that's even worse. I think they're more they're, there's there's a loyalty there more than other genres. Right, right, and I think that you know, I mean, you got to think that even as big as hip hop is, there are still so many hip hop artists that have not gone to Europe, that have not performed there. So when they get an opportunity to get out there, finally. They don't, the artists may not really realize how excited and how pumped up, how important it is for those fans that they're finally able to get to see their heroes. You know, uh, they, they watched growing up and seeing on, on that little MTV or their music channel, or they had to get bootleg versions of the songs because they couldn't afford to get the CD or or it wasn't available in their country. You know, the artist really doesn't take the time to really realize some of the ways and some of the depth that the fans have had to take just to even get access to the music. You know, so you got to take a lot of things into consideration, I think. I was talking to someone else um, that we interviewed a couple of weeks back who co-wrote with uh, Gil Scott Heron. And one of the things that he said, is, uh, similar to what you've just said, is that people kind of don't branch out. But he was actually referring to Americans in general, uh, that the, the kind of branching out and getting out to Europe, Asia, to Australia, to South America. It's really, really 
important and not just kind of you could quite easily just get stuck in the silo of of american kind of touring you can uh and the thing is is that yeah you, you know it's also a bit of comfort because there are a lot of artists that they just they go to a different country and it's just too different for them you know they things are different you know the food is different the travel the language uh you know just the vibe the whole thing you know some artists they don't adapt well to that other artists you know they 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 don't they're not they're not worried about you know the fans they're just worried about they're gonna get paid and then that's it and then, you know they'll treat the fans like whatever but i think that as an artist and to branch out you know you have to you know you have to go to different places in the world you gotta look what? at it this way man you gotta look at it this way like the music that we make no matter what genre it is it's fucking world music it's world music if our music is able to go and be popular in germany and we're speaking in english and a lot of those people may not understand exactly what we're talking about, what they're fans of what, you know, of what we do. It's reached that part of the world. We're doing world music. And it just, it, it transcends what the language is. It's more about the feeling and the vibe and everything, isn't it? it exactly. I mean, you can go, you know, music is the universal language. You go to a different country, they don't speak your language, but they love your song. You know, something about that song affects them. I mean, it's hard to explain, but that's the way it is. You were, you were talking about genres there, and I wondered, you know, I guess you do get classified as, as, as hip-hop, but I guess you're kind of rock hip-hop in a way. And I wonder, what's, what's the music outside of the hip-hop or a hip-hop genre that you listen to the most, and what's the type of music that you listen to the least, given that you're a... Um, you know, a connoisseur of, of a lot of different types of music, as we've spoken about. Wow. I, you know, I think I find myself listening to different things every day. You know, I definitely do listen to a lot of uh, hip hop, but more, uh, I'm selective with my newer hip hop. Uh, but I, <laughs> I think I, we're all, I, I think do, we're all that. But I, but I, you know, I always have the classics that I can go back to. Uh, I, I I do listen to uh, a bit of jazz. I do listen to uh, Latin music. I do listen to uh, uh, some classical stuff, other world music things. You know, what I find myself that I will listen to the least would be something like country. Country music is just like uh, I, uh, <laughs> I like I like classical music, but then when it gets to opera. I get really iffy with that too, but but country country for sure, it's a little, it's a bit rough for me. Even though there is some country that is cool that I will listen to, but I don't think that I want to be going to like a country festival and be there all day and saying, okay, I'm I'm gonna have the time of my life here. <laughs> I think I'd stay there for five minutes too. So I think I'm on the same path. Yeah. 
And and you, you you obviously love rock music as well. For me, you know, yes. I've, when I listen to kind of metal, there's there's a kind of maximum that I can kind of take on in my brain. Is that the same for you, or is it just the harder the better, or do you have a limit to the 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 uh, the, the metal side of things? You know, I do I do have a, a, a limit. I can go in stages if I want to really hear something hard. I know the artists that I can, you know, go to and can satisfy that. But yeah, um, it's very hard for me. It will be very hard for me to say, okay, for this whole day, I'm going to listen to nothing but the heaviest and hardest of metal. And that's it. The other thing that we mentioned as well was that the, obviously Latin America is a big uh, influence for you as well. Most Latin American bands. I mean, you mentioned Tito Fuentes there, but you've also got like uh, Jorge Benjor or Carlos Santana. They're all kind of known for just pure passion. And I'm and I wondered, obviously, with the Hispanic roots or Latin Latin American roots that all of the band pretty much have, is what do you think other countries lack that that Latin Americans have when it comes to that kind of freedom and passion in their performance? Well, I think you just probably hit it on the head, you know, is a is a passion, you know what I mean? It's something like you can you can hear it in their in their music, you can feel in their lyrics. And some of the music, you know, they're they're playing like they have nothing else to lose, you know, they're giving it a, their all. Also the fans there are very are very loyal. They're loyal. I mean, when we go to Latin America and we perform. I mean, the fans are so passionate about coming out, expressing, you know, their love and support for the band. You know, it's crazy to hear, like, you know, I was, the first cassette that I ever bought was a Cypress Hill cassette. And I'm like, wow, that's really, that's something. And that's something that they never forget. So, you know, some people have been waiting their whole lives just to get a, a, an opportunity to see us live. We've been part of their lives for so long. And you talk about, you know, the hip hop bands that have that Spanish Spanish influence or Spanish, Latin American hip hop bands in particular. For, for me, kind of one of my favorites was always Orishas or Calle 13. And I, I yeah. wonder, did you perform with them? Were there other Latin American hip hop bands that really kind of inspired you? Uh, yes, I remember first seeing Orishas a time when I went to Paris. And I was there recording for another project. And the guys took me out, said, yeah, there's this band, you know, you, I think you're going to like them. And they were Orishas. And I was like, wow, man, this is really cool. Like, I had never heard about them. And, uh, we got a chance to do some festivals together. And when they came out to LA, uh, one time I got a chance to jam with them. And the Calle 13, my other, my other side project with Machine, got a chance to open up for them. And I'm friends with uh, Renee. What they've done, you know, for the music and for the, the movement is incredible. And what I like is that, you know, they're, they're influenced with North American sounds and stuff, but it's very important 
that they put their twist to it. Very important. And I think that uh, I, I like that most about groups like that is that they can be influenced with the sound, but they're not trying to 100% duplicate that because they have to express their shit. And, and they go in hard as well. You know, similar to Cypress Hill, similar to Rage or something like that, they... If they're going, they're going to play a gig. They're going to go. Uh, they're going to go hard. Yes, exactly, and that's what you know. I think that that's what uh, us as fans, you know, fans of you know bands and you know musicians, they they want that. They want to see that. They want to hear that. I mean, the 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 records and the songs, the recordings, they take them to one level, but they want to be taken to the next level when you perform live. So that's why if you get able to do that, you don't have to have a new record. You just have to be coming out to their town and say, oh, they're in town again. They're going to give a great show. I want to see what they're going to do now. And what do you think of new Latin artists at the moment? I guess, you know, Bad Bunny is the one that's, I guess, that's everywhere at the moment. What do you think of uh, the new Latin artists that are coming out? I mean, I mean, Bad Bunny, Bad Bunny is, is, is cool, but I mean, even right before he blew up, he was not really my cup of tea. But I know that he's killing it right now. What I'm enjoying is seeing the movement to be the way that it is, that, you know, these Latin artists are getting recognized for. You know, they're starting to, to get their music out there on, on a bigger level. It's not just about like the Latin Grammys or or stuff like that. It's like they're able to go out to a place like U.S. and get the number one record. You know, look at K-pop. Look at look at groups you know that are in that genre. They're able to come out to the United States and have some English in their songs, but the majority is a different language. And they're able to come out and do sellout tours, number one albums, and be incredible. Does that mean that we're going to see some sort of uh, Cypress Hill uh, K-pop collaboration at some point? <laughs> uh, well, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, I, I think, you know, when the right artists get together to make hybrid stuff, you know, and it becomes successful, it's a win. You know, you're able to get a, a, another audience and cross over like that. It's incredible man, to be able to do that. So I think that at the end of the day, more music, more collaborations, you know, it does going to bring the people more together. I think the world as it is, is so divided. And the one thing that brings them all together is music. Here, here. Well said. And I guess talking about that in terms of the collaborations, the mix, etc. You know, talking about the start of your career, you know, with the Beastie Boys, how was that to be a part of Ill Communication? And did it feel, did it feel like a genre-defining moment? When we're doing Ill Communication, I mean, we were like a very well-oiled machine, and I think that we just captured the vibe of, you know, how we were. You know, you you never really see uh something like a project you're you're uh, working on and think that it's going to be the one the 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 album that can really like 
changed the whole game. You know, we were just making music that was feeling good. But I think that when you do make music that just feels good and it's natural and it's not forced, that's the best music that's going to resonate to people because they feel that. People, they listen to their music to escape from whatever they're dealing with, you know. So we got to take them on a journey. And a lot of times, you know, you could you could be making a record and you're trying to get that hit song. You're trying to make that hit song and you fail miserably because you're trying too hard. When a hit song could be coming out of like you're working down the street, you get some potato chips and all of a sudden an idea comes to you. You lay it down, you write it down on a piece of paper, you work on it. And all of a sudden that song becomes a great big hit. Yeah, and I think with all due respect to to kind of what, what you were saying there, with all due respect to Beastie Boys as a rap band, there weren't this kind of mass influx of of white dudes who could kind of pull this off without just kind of making a fool of themselves either. It 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 felt it felt different. It felt new. Is that how it felt to you? It it, it did. It did in a way. It it felt like you know what what they were trying to accomplish as musicians was coming along like very nicely because like look you know they were known for you know for being MCs and and not for using their instruments at all and look at what 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 came to to be you know they were able to express themselves in all those ways and we felt that we were coming up with some really really good really cool music i mean so much cool music, so many cool ideas. We didn't know, you know, what to what to cut out, what to keep, or any of that. You know, we knew that we had something good. We did not know how it was going to affect the people. And I think that with the help of the video, the sabotage video, getting all the MTV airplay, for our performances, everything just happened at the right time. And we were actually in Europe. I remember when Ill Communication came out and to learn that we had the number one album on Billboard debut. Insane. Nuts. It just—it's insane. But please and, say and there is more that, tracks. Please say there's some more tracks somewhere in someone's desk. You were saying that you don't know which ones you wanted to keep and which ones you wanted to to, to chuck away. Hopefully, there's going to be another album that comes out of all all the ones that you that you wanted to ditch. Well, you know, I think that uh, a lot of stuff has kind of come out. A lot of stuff was made from jams that we did. There were a lot more musical ideas. How those musical ideas would now be put together would be a challenge. But uh, there probably are a couple of damn near finished gems that we didn't get to 100% that, you know, may see the light of day. It would be great to hear some some of that stuff because we, we kept the, uh, the tape rolling. When we kept the tape rolling, like we were getting out all these ideas, and like I said, we were flowing very pretty heavily. So, you know, who knows? 
So, so it could it could be another once upon a time in Shaolin type of, <laughs> type of you, you know you know it it could it could be but I think that all of those things are uh, are a bit more heavily guarded than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that that's 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 out there now. Yeah. Um, the what did your closest friends think of the band? Or you must have been playing music with Beastie Boys, and then obviously they always tell you, you know, don't take it anywhere or don't show people. But you must have been showing your friends and family and saying, "Fuck, listen to this, man. This is this is gonna be." Coming yeah, out. yeah, you know, I mean, the ones that I played for, they were like, "Man, this is some real cool shit." Like everything that we were doing was like really on point, and they said, "Yo, man, this is gonna blow up. This is gonna blow up," and then. You know, like, yeah, you know, maybe they're just, you know, being your friends and being like, okay, you know, you know, they're just being cool. They're just being nice. But I really think that, you know, when a couple of my close musician friends were like, yo, this is really some cool shit. They thought it was cool for the Beastie Boys and what they were doing. They thought it was cool for me of what of what I was, you know, a part of and what I was making. And it just blew up so quickly. I didn't really get a chance to digest everything. It was just like on express, like from the week of release to the, the that end of the touring cycle, you know? And from, it wasn't enough for you to, to kind of have one gold standard band. You also then decided to um, go with Cypress Hill as well. Did you look, when you were doing the Beastie Boys stuff, did you kind of look up to the band as as well? Or could you see them, see what they were doing and kind of, you were like, fuck this, I need to be a part of this too. Or... Well, well, no, you know what? In meeting with Cypress was actually on my first tour with the Beasties. So it was like, my worlds kind of collided from the get-go. My thing was like, with Cypress, I was a fan. Their first album was blown, had blown up. And all of a sudden, I started off touring with them, and Black Sunday had just dropped, was about to drop. I was already kind of like hanging around before the album dropped. And then the album dropped, and Insane in the Brain became crazy. So it was like, it, it, that was the first wave for me because like I was now a part of uh, I was touring with this band that everything was happening so fast and again it was like an express and then after that touring cycle then going into the studio with the Beastie Boys almost like immediately after finishing that whole world tour doing your communication then that blowing up the way that like Insane did you know like like Sunday did as far as Debuting at number one, staying up on the charts. It was like they were those were like three three to four years that were like a blur for me because everything was happening so damn fast. And it, it was like I was a part of a couple of classic albums and tours, you know. And 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 a lot of parties, I'm assuming, as well, in that period of time. Like I said, a lot of things are blurred. was there was there something that was kind of glaringly different from what you'd done before to to when you kind of got to cypress hill was there anything you could see was kind of glaringly glaringly different 
Well, I think that, you know, I was just, you know, I was making music with my friends. You know, I had done a couple of records, a couple of hip hop records, uh, a, a couple of uh, like alternative kind of records and things like that. So everything that I was doing was kind of different, but there were elements that were the same. And those elements are the ones that kind of got me to where I was at, you know what I mean? Growing up in a Latin jazz realm, growing up with the early things of hip hop, rapping, wanting to rap, knowing hip hop, growing up with hip hop, everything kind of came together. You know, being exposed to rock, you know, everything like that. All of that stuff prepared me for like when I recorded with the Black Crows and I did the Orca record. All of that stuff. I able to, you know, play on albums like with Soulfly. It'll be able to do a bunch of other things. You know what I mean? It's crazy. But I just think that all of that stuff just came together for me because I had been exposed to some of those elements growing up a little bit here and there. And it just all came together at the same time. And, and I guess both for both bands as well, their hip-hop is unconventional in, in, in some ways, you know? And did you did you consciously try and make it different or was that was that unintentional? It was just organic? You were just doing what you love? I was doing what I love, but, you know, I wanted to be different. You know, I wanted to set a mark and try to do something different. But that's why my dad always said, you know, listen to different types of music. And all of that stuff helped me because, again, you can listen to different types of music and you can play on different types of music and you can adjust, but you still got to have your flavor and put your flavor in there. That's what was important so that say, people could say, oh, oh, that's Bobo. I can hear Bobo. I can hear that. And he's, oh, I like what he's doing on this. It's different. But you could tell it's me. That must feel nice when it all comes together, just to to kind of feel like it's you know shit. We're we're onto something here, and I wondered, you know, with that as well, you would have played with so many supporting bands. You would have played for other artists as well. Is there what's the kind of well, what's this two part really? What's the most fun you've had with a supporting band, and which supporting bands have joined you as Cypress Hill that you hadn't heard of? Because there'll be multiple that you hadn't heard of that that kind of surprised you the most. Wow. Um, supporting bands. 311. When they, they had opened up for us and I didn't I didn't know anything about their music at all. And uh, they, it, that wound up to me playing on one of their records on a couple of songs. Uh, that was fun. Uh, the Roots getting a chance to play with Rage Against the Machine opened up for us. You know, uh, fuck um, the energy, the energy of you two on that stage. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, it was it was it was phenomenal. And, you know, they opened up for us. And at the end of the, the, the show, the last song, they would join us. So it was great. And, and that led, led to a cool musical friendship as well. So, you know, groups like that is it, always great. You know, groups like Slightly Stupid. Uh, Man, this can go on and on. What's I guess the given the fact that you've got all of these 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 things that you've done? What what's the thing that you personally, you know, Eric Bobo Carrera? What's what's the what's the thing that you're most proud of? 
to be honest, I'm I'm kind of most proud of being able to uh, be be recognized for being able to do different different things. For example, uh, I, I did uh, music for this series, uh, this Argentine series called El Marginal, which is uh, was their top number one series, and it went like four seasons, and I did music for both of those seasons, and that really got me into making music for like film, TV kind of thing. So to be able to like jump into things like that has been one of my proudest moments because that was something that I always wanted to do that I never thought that I would get a chance to do because I never thought that the opportunity would come my way. I thought that, yeah, I can do these tours, I can play, I can do records, but it'll be great to just have music and do stuff like that. And, and actually the first one of the first ones I did, I did music for an episode of CSI. So that really got me like, man, got me the the bug of wanting to do more. So things like that, that's like my one of my proudest moments. Is there is there ever been a time where you thought you wouldn't make it? Yep. <laughs> yep. I think that everybody, even if you say that you know you never gave up on yourself, that's a whole different thing. When you say, you know, I'm, I I never gave up on myself, but I have the feeling that, you know what, I'm not going to make it. This is not going to, you know, I'm not going to make it the way that I want to, you know, make it. So, yeah, the thought had crossed my mind a bunch of times, but I just never gave up on myself. And I think that's that's kind of, you know, we're coming to the end of the episode. And I really, really do appreciate you taking the time on really looking forward to you coming over here and, and us uh, kind of getting to see you see you as well but i think just on that topic you know given the number of instruments the number of bands that you played with for people listening you know what would you say for anyone wanting to get into music is to kind of learn first about the industry or the music itself and further to that where where do they progress from there i think that it's important if you're going to get into the music to also understand a little bit of the business the business is changing so much you got to know what you're getting into the easy part is making the music that's really the easiest part the hardest part is you know knowing how to find your target audience uh, you know how you're going to get the music out there to performing and things like that the making music thing is, is is simple but also have a passion you know know that you're going to probably hear the word no more than you're going to hear yes but don't let that deter you from from your passion. The people are gonna let you know what what they like and what they don't like. The people are gonna let you know. You know, at the same time, you know, that's why now these people that are making music and have put their stuff on SoundCloud or things like that and have become very successful. Why do you think that the record labels are now looking to see these artists that have millions of views on their independent videos? or millions of uh, listens and streams on SoundCloud. You know, they're looking for that. So they're not dictating anymore. We dictate. So the people dictate. So know the business. Keep your passion. Get your music out there. Perform. 
if you are a rapper, uh, you're a rap part of a rap group, you got to get yourself in front of an audience. You got to, you know, perfect that show because that could be your longevity right there. That can, You know, you give a good show, the hit records can come and go, but you can see artists that are still touring to this day that are not anywhere near on the charts, but are still selling out shows. I think that's a good place to leave it. Eric Bobo of Cypress Hill, really appreciate you talking to me today and, and good luck with the upcoming tour. Thank you very much, man. I'm looking forward to getting out there to uh, Australia and uh, it's going to be a fun time. So look forward to see you out there. This podcast was edited by Podlike. We provide expert audio and video production for podcasters and content creators. Find out more at podlike.online.